This week in KMA Land. Grass fires keep KMA Land departments busy. Residents threaten lawsuit over Page County wind turbines. Glen Miller Avenue will be staying a four-lane road. And EMS officials feel the strain of low numbers. That and more coming up on This Week in KMA Land, our weekly look back at the top news stories from the KMA News Department in the week. I'm Ryan Matheny, filling in for the vacationing Mike Peterson. We begin on Tuesday. President Joe Biden was in southwest Iowa, Guthrie County to be specific, to announce an emergency waiver that will allow a higher ethanol blend of fuel to be sold through the summer in an effort to curb rising fuel prices. The president made the announcement from Poet Bioprocessing's Menlo location on Tuesday. He says the waivers will allow E15 fuel to be sold June 1st through September 15th, a time period when it's usually not allowed. He says in, additionally to, in addition to easing pu- prices at the pump, ethanol provides a key industry for Iowa farmers. All that corn in the silos is from farmers within 60 miles of here. Knowing you have a buyer gives farmers something they don't often have peace of mind, certitude about where their product can be sold and to get a fair price for it. Second, it creates good paying jobs. It's estimated there are over 400,000 jobs directly and indirectly supported by this industry nationwide. The move came as the administration faced pressure to lower energy prices in the wake of high inflation. The average gallon of gas for the week nationwide was around $4.10 per gallon. E15 is about 10 cents a gallon cheaper than E10. And some gas stations offer an even bigger discount than that. But many of the gas stations that sell it here in Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania are required to stop selling in the summer. But with this waiver, on June 1, you're not going to show up at your local gas station and see a bag over the pump that has the cheapest gas. In 2019, President Donald Trump allowed E15 to be sold year-round, but that move was struck down in federal court. In addition to allowing summertime E15 sales, Biden used the visit to tout his administration's investment in infrastructure and the use of COVID-19 relief funds to help farmers. He pointed specifically to efforts to diversify markets for domestic beef. I'm a capitalist. But without capitalism, without competition, isn't capitalism. It's exploitation. Exploitation. And bringing down historic economic progress, reducing costs for families also requires investing in infrastructure. Biden's visit to Iowa was his first since his campaign in 2020. Of course, there was a lot of reaction to the announcement. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst said that allowing E15 sales this summer is welcome news. The Red Oak Republican, along with fellow Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, has long pushed the Environmental Protection Agency to allow the sale of the higher ethanol blend year-round. President Biden was in Iowa this week to announce that emergency waiver that would allow the fuel to be sold in the summer. In an interview with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network this week, Ernst said the temporary waiver buys time for lawmakers to work on a more permanent fix. It does allow us some more time to continue working on legislation because what we would like to see is what we call the codification or the passage of a law that would be put into place that would make sure E15 continues to be available year-round on into the future. During the speech, Biden said blending more ethanol into the country's fuel supply, along with releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, would help offset shortfalls from a boycott of Russian oil. Ernst says Iowa's farmers are ready and able to fill the needs in the nation's fuel supply. We know that it can be readily available, and our producers have stated that they can step up and fill any sort of gap that might be left if we... Uh, are cutting off Russian oil and 
And so I think it's a very good message that uh, the president recognizes the role that agriculture can play in combating the high prices at the pump. In addition to educating the public on the benefits of biofuels, Ernst says she continues to work on educating members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. With E15 and those higher blends of ethanol, we know that we are immediately reducing the carbon footprint of our vehicles by using those types of blends. Um, so it is a large education process that we have with Americans. But uh, for Senator Grassley and I, every day it seems to be an education process with members of Congress. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, but we do know that even like with E15, immediately you'll see the benefits um, uh, to the, the Earth's carbon footprint. In 2019, President Donald Trump moved to make year-round E15 available permanently. However, that move was blocked by a federal court judge. On the advocate side of things, biofuel advocates were reacting to the announcements, and Monty Shaw from the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association had his immediate reaction. You know, the old song, put me in coach, I'm ready to play. We have a fuel here it's domestic we make it locally it's higher quality it's higher octane and oh by the way it's cheaper shaw was in menlo when biden announced the emergency waiver to allow e15 from june 1st through september 15th and speaking on our morning line program earlier this week shaw said that the fuel with higher ethanol blend can often sell cheaper due to corn producers continuing to hit record yields corn growers are super efficient they're producing you know record yields and near record yields all the time with uh, with lower inputs and so the cost of the you know, relative cost of the corn has gone down. I know prices are pretty good now, but compared to the value in the energy market. And so ethanol is just the lowest cost of fuel octane in the entire world. So the more ethanol you add to your gas, the lower price that fuel is going to be. Currently, nearly 60% of the product from Iowa corn growers is first processed at an ethanol plant for fuel or high-protein animal feed. However, with electric vehicles holding much of the national spotlight, Shaw hopes the emergency waiver shows that ethanol can be a reliable, renewable fuel source. You know, I hope that some of his administration, who are almost completely focused on EVs, listen to the president's words yesterday and understand that we don't have to put all of our eggs in an EV basket. You know, electric vehicles are fine, they're coming, but we have low-carbon biofuels that are here today that can work in today's cars. You don't have to go out and buy a new sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 car, you know, EV to, to use them. As corn yields continue to grow, Shaw says the waiver will allow the market's demand to catch up with supply. That is a huge market for, for uh, corn growers. And right now, 95% of our gas all across the 50 United States is already E10. If we're going to grow demand for biofuels in the United States, if we're going to grow markets for these farmers who keep producing more and more off the same acres of land and they're doing a great job feeding and fueling the world, then we need to have higher blends like E15. Shaw also emphasized the importance of getting gas stations equipped with the appropriate equipment to sell E15 and added multiple funding sources are available. We do have uh, grant programs in the state of Iowa that retailers can access. Uh, the president announced $100 million of federal money also. So if, you're, if, you, if, you have, if you go to a gas station right now that doesn't offer E15 and you happen to know who runs that thing, tell them to call us. There's money out there to put in equipment 
products you can offer these higher blends. Shaw also says the IRFA is working with the state to develop a more permanent solution for selling E15 year-round as the waiver is only for this year. You can hear the full interview with Monty Shaw on our morning line page at kmaland.com. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley was also in the area this week, and he says he supports expanding federal education assistance to those seeking something other than a two-year or four-year college degree. During an event at Iowa Western Community College Thursday, Grassley said giving assistance to those enrolling in a technical or trade program could help ease employment shortages. One thing that I think will help the quality as well as the quantity of the workforce is something if we ever get a higher education reauthorization bill through the Congress of the United States, presently you can't get a Pell Grant unless you're going to finish a degree, either AA or BA. And uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, people that need training that have a certificate program or something less than two years or four years where uh, any, almost any trade, whatever you want to mention, they ought to qualify for the Pell Grant. I support that. Grassley appeared with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We've got more from Grassley's visit up, and you can find that still at kmaland.com. Well, this week was also a difficult one when it came to fires, specifically grass fires, as there was a lot of wind, a lot of low humidity, and a lot of high temperatures throughout the week. We start on the early part of the week. On Monday, several fire departments responded to a grass fire in western Fremont County late last weekend. Tabor Fire Chief Dan Morse told us his department was called to a report of a grass fire near Forney's Lake. That started last Saturday. He says his department, along with others, remained on site for the majority of last Saturday through last Sunday, monitoring the blaze. And eventually, he says the Department of Natural Resources had to come in and start controlled burns with better wind conditions. However, he added those conditions quickly worsened. Sunday, the DNR came in with better wind conditions and did some controlled burning to try to mitigate that whole area uh, and burn off significant portions that were that were going to be a problem. Um, the wind shifted Sunday afternoon, you know, afternoon or after after lunchtime, after one o'clock maybe, um, and then we had uncontrolled fire conditions again. Moore says that the Sunday blaze threatened a pair of homes due to the high wind conditions. We had extensive fire lines that we were trying to work to contain. Um, we did have two houses that were threatened by by embers being thrown because of the, the wind conditions changing directions as well as a number of dead trees that were falling and, and just going where they wanted to go and throwing embers. Moore says a large part of Forney's Lake sustained heavy burn damage from the fire. The Forney Lake area had extensive burning from the railroad tracks to the west, um, all the way up 135th to um, the Bluff Road, and then from the Bluff Road all the way up to the entrance of um, the Thurman Rock Quarry. So we had fire crews spread out over several miles trying to do back burns and contain it to protect homes. Um, it was an extensive operation for better part of two days. However, Morse added no damage was reported to the two homes near the blaze. Sunday's uncontrolled fires have been attributed to controlled burns suffering from bad wind conditions. The initial cause from Saturday is still under investigation. Uh, those departments also responded as that fire rekindled on Monday and Tuesday. The Thurman and Sydney Fire Departments, as well as several area farmers in the Iowa DNR, assisted with fire mitigation. Well, on the other side of Fremont County, there was another grass fire. Several KMA land departments battled that fire on the east 
eastern part of Fremont County. Farragut Fire Chief Kevin Walter says his department got the call around 4.15 Tuesday afternoon of a large grass fire near the intersection of Highway 2 and 355th Street. Walter says several area fire departments were called and ground operations were went until around 7 p.m. On top of the large fire, which covered nearly 40 acres, Walter says they were also battling tough wind conditions. Conditions were as bad as you can get, I'm guessing. Uh, wind was, I don't know, 40, 45 mile an hour. We were battling tall grass, CRP. Walter says Highway 2 was shut down near the intersection for nearly an hour due to heavy smoke coming across the roadway and reducing visibility. He says the cause of the fire was a controlled burn that was started by a landowner Monday who Walter said had thought the fire had been put out but eventually got out of control. Walter says the Shenandoah Fire Department did have two firefighters who were transported for smoke inhalation but are recovering quickly. Agencies responding included Sydney, Coyne, and Essex Fire and Rescue, the Shenandoah Fire Department, Randolph Fire, Fremont County Sheriff's Office, and the Shenandoah Ambulance. Walter says five farmers also brought discs to assist in the fire mitigation. Well, those dry, windy conditions in KMA land over the last two weeks did keep local fire departments busy battling all those grass fires. Local departments logged marathon hours over the last weekend and into the early part of this week combating fires that spread rapidly due to the relatively dry conditions. Clorinda Fire Chief Roger Williams said his department, and like others, had a multitude of fires to fight over the last several days. Speaking during the Clorinda City Council meeting this week, Williams says his crews were barely able to make it back to refuel and reload water before turning around to answer another call. You guys have done a great job. We've been busy, just like any other department in the county, in the area, we've been busy for the last week. We had, uh, in uh, five days, we had 14 calls. And on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, <clears throat> Tuesday, Saturday, from 6 30 in the morning until 10 30 at night, nonstop. Williams credits his department's volunteers for the increased workload, saying they've answered the call each time. We've been really busy. The guys have done a great job. We were never in a spot where we didn't have enough people. And the guys just hung together. It was a rough day. It's just been a rough weekend. We just—it's been a busy time. But you should be proud of the guys. Done a great job. I give them all the credit, not me. Despite so. some rain in the area earlier in the week, most of KMA land still dealt with prime fire conditions. As there was a red flag warning on Thursday, some counties, including Pottawatomie and Mills, implemented burn bans to curb grass fires. Williams says burn bans aren't always the best prevention tool. But burn bans not always really deterrent in my mind because then people don't know about it or they get warnings this time. And sometimes it's not just burning. We had two calls yesterday because of the wind, trees in the power lines out in the country, we got grass fires on them. That was two of those yesterday. So, and then there was two that were uh, cigarettes involved, smoking material. But yeah, people are burning when they shouldn't. We've had two that were professionally hired to burn and they probably shouldn't have been doing that. We went out twice that place. Still to come on this week in KMA land, Peach County residents threatened to sue the Board of Supervisors over wind turbines in the county. Glen Miller Avenue in Clorinda will be staying a four-lane road instead of going to a three-lane road. And local EMS officials are feeling the strain from a lack of workers that are able to work. And some counties are exploring alternate options to staff their EMS throughout their counties. All that and more still to come on This Week in KMA land. Welcome back to This Week in KMA Land, our weekly look back at news from across the KMA newsroom. 
And at the Page County Supervisors this meeting, a group of residents made their intentions clear. Potential legal action against the county in connection to grievances regarding wind turbines. During the regular meeting Tuesday night, the Page County Board of Supervisors received letters of legal notice from several residents present at the meeting threatening legal action regarding inaction on the county's wind ordinance. Jesse Stimson, who spoke for the residents in attendance, says the board has ignored its residents' concerns for too long. For two and a half years, those concerns have been met with resistance and or comprom uh, com no compromise. We see no other recourse but to take legal action to try to understand the attitudes and actions of the Page County officials. We are here to give you legal notices. The action follows the most recent three-month discussion on wind ordinance changes after Invenergy proposed their Shenandoah Hills wind farm straddling the Fremont and Page County line south of Shenandoah. However, citizen concerns date back to shortly after the ordinance was initially passed in late 2019. Speaking during the meeting's public comment period, Sherry Hunter, who lives on a small farm near Blanchard, says the research provided by the residents continues to be ignored. I provided research for epilepsy in reference to wind farms from comprehensive peer-reviewed studies reviewed in 2019 that are public record at the National Library of Medicine and the, um, the National Center for Biotechnology Information. That was the research that I had shared with you. Strong calls were made by residents primarily for changes to the ordinance setback distance, decommissioning standards, and seeking alternative lighting sources. While the board ultimately placed a moratorium on accepting any new wind energy conversion system applications, it would not affect the application that's already been submitted by Invenergy. Hunter adds first-hand accounts, including her own, have been disregarded by the board and accused board members of showing hypocrisy when wanting to represent the concerns of all the county's residents. Consider my son and those you have destined to live too close to turbines the next time you compare surviving and thriving. And before you boast of celebrating as others in the community are crying, please remember that you still have not replied to my research and my pleas. While the litigation is currently pending, Page County at this time has not provided comment on the matter. Well, Clorinda City officials this week elected to keep the lane configuration on Glen Miller Avenue status quo instead of changing it to a three-lane pattern. In regular session this week, the Clorinda City Council voted unanimously to keep the traffic pattern on Glen Miller Avenue the same. Last month, the council heard a presentation from Snyder & Associates project engineer Dave Sturm. Sturm told the council that with the street being resurfaced this summer, changing the configuration would make sense at the same time as the resurfacing. The council delayed a decision at its last meeting following concerns raised by Pastor Mitch Grossamy at the First Baptist Church, which would lose its handicapped parking under the proposed changes. Mayor Craig Hill says several members of the church reached out to express concerns of the three-lane configuration. I've, I've listened to your concerns. I've listened to the concerns of your uh, prisoners and uh, uh, emails and so forth that I've gotten and comments from people. And uh, that's a, it's a struggle. Okay, it, it is a conflict. This is something that I haven't dealt with lightly, and uh, we just need to discuss it and decide. Under the proposal to go to three lanes, the center lane would be used as a turning lane for both directions, and bike lanes would be placed on the outside edge of the roadway. Grossamy says the church averages between 50 and 80 attendees, including at least five members who have a handicapped parking placard. We're very concerned, and I have a lot of people who are very concerned, uh, and I have people that it would affect their attendance, and I feel like there are situations where... Like I said, full, full disclosure, we have nobody bound to a wheelchair right now, but that doesn't mean we won't next week. 
It doesn't mean we won't three months from now. In addition to concerns raised about church parking, Hill says there are still issues with traffic from school drop-off and pickup that causes cars to back up onto Glen Miller Avenue. Safety is a big concern. The, the limiting of the speed is a big concern for me, but at the same time, uh, just like I said, we've got a lot of issues here that we're dealing with, with the church, with the school, and we haven't had any accidents. Are we, are we, uh, are we making a change just to make a change? Are we doing it to improve? Following discussion, the council opted to leave the current traffic pattern in place following the resurfacing efforts this summer. In other business, the council granted the request to close 15th Street between Maine and Washington Streets on May 14th from 6 p.m. to midnight for a graduation party. As volunteer emergency service personnel have become harder to find, rural hospitals and EMS are beginning to feel the strain. That's according to Shenandoah Medical Center CEO Matt Sells, who says emergency personnel working with his hospital are beginning to feel the strain of increased daily calls. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program this week, Sells applauded efforts of local EMS crews who have stepped up on extra calls, but says the current situation is not sustainable. The message I'm getting from those folks is, Matt, this, this isn't sustainable, right? So we have to have a plan in order to make it so uh, eventually we are able to staff these positions and guarantee that we can keep response times down, that somebody's going to be available when, when you call 911. Additionally, Cell says recruiting efforts have been a struggle for operating the Shenandoah Ambulance as they've utilized a number of on-call personnel, which Cells says often serves as a second job. You've got a, a pretty tight uh, workforce right now where uh, pretty much everybody in our area seems to be hiring uh, across the board in all industries. And so, you know, individuals that are willing to kind of uh, you know, take call and, and, and do that as an occupation as opposed to, to having guaranteed full-time hours and, and benefits and those things has, has certainly changed. Cell says that when patients come into the hospital needing a transfer, it nearly doubles the amount of staff that are required, adding to the load of a lighter staffed EMS. And so we have to have a crew uh, available to take those patients. And when that crew is on the road taking a patient to Omaha uh, for a higher level of care, then we also have to cover 911s. And that crew is going to be on the road for typically a minimum of around three hours in, in route to transporting that patient to a to another facility. To help provide more funding for the services, Cell says Page and Fremont County EMS personnel are in the preliminary talks of declaring EMS an essential service in both counties. Otherwise, Sells warns that what he calls a scary situation could be on the horizon. I think so much of the time, right, when we dial 911, we expect somebody to come. But the reality of the matter is that, that if there are no staff available to respond, you're really at the mercy of the staffing of your local agencies. On Mills County side, Mills County officials have begun the process already of declaring EMS an essential service in their county. During the regular meeting this week, the Mills County Board of Supervisors approved a resolution to make emergency services essential. The maneuver is allowed after the state legislature passed Senate File 615 in 2021, which allowed counties to implement a tax for providing the service. Mills County Supervisor Richard Crouch tells KMA News the move comes primarily as the county's aging volunteers are beginning to leave the profession. You know, some of them are over 70 years old that's running these operations for us. And, they're, you know, they're, they're ready to get out, but there's nobody to take place. The Melbourne Bank had a running on their bank calendar, you know, for volunteers to show up for fire or EMS for almost three months. And not one person, you know, 
has volunteered. Crouch says the hopes to put the resolution on the November election ballot requiring 60% of the vote to pass. While saying the county is still early on in figuring out how to staff the locations, Crouch says the hope would be for the county to employ a certain amount of EMS personnel at key locations throughout the county. We have some locations in the county here where we can put personnel for 24-7, you know, uh, to uh, cover certain areas of the county. Uh, We're going to see how many people, you know, we actually think it's going to take. We haven't gotten that far yet, but uh, we we have looked at, uh, we have three different locations that we can house people in and uh, run our services out of there. As volunteer EMS personnel have shrunk, Crouch says providers like Malvern Rescue are on track for over 240 calls for the year. Additionally, several smaller providers consistently have to cover for one another. Glenwood gets called out, uh, Mineola has to be on call, or Silver City has to be on call, or Malvern, one of them. Okay, Glenwood's going for a call. You're, you know, do we have someone there? You know, it's it's getting to where it's a, a situation where we could get into trouble not having enough people to serve the people. The board also tabled action on appointing an EMS advisory board due to Crouch abstaining for a conflict of interest and Supervisor Lonnie Mayberry being absent from the meeting. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Ryan Matheny. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.